0: I would invite you, if you have your Bibles, to open them up to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We are finishing part 2 of our Romans series, The Spirit-Filled Life. Next week we'll be jumping into John chapter 10 uh, on a series called The Good Shepherd. But let's open our word to Romans 8 just to prepare to receive from the Lord. I remember the first time that I had a panic attack. I remember I was sitting in my living room with my wife. We were watching a movie, oddly enough, not really the time you'd think of to have a panic attack. I remember sitting there on the couch and all of a sudden my heartbeat just started racing really fast, like felt like it was going to beat out of my chest. And then my lungs tightened up and I felt like I couldn't breathe anymore and, and felt this utter terror and felt like I was going to die. If you've ever had an anxiety attack or panic attack, you probably know what I'm talking about. It's a pretty terrifying experience. And little did I know at that point that I would end up going on to struggle with that panic attack or things like that for the better part of a year, a year which came to be known in my house as the year from H-E double hockey sticks or, you know, however you want to call it. It was awful. Panic attacks, sleepless nights, insomnia, this is about a decade ago, but man, I, I... haven't forgotten it, it was awful. And I remember thinking at that time, why? Why, God? Why would this happen to me? I'm one of the good guys, right? What, what have I done to deserve this? I thought you loved me. I thought you had good plans for my life, but this doesn't feel loving and this doesn't feel good. You ever felt like that? What do you do when bad things happen in your life? Has something bad happened to you recently that's made you start to question whether God is good, whether he sees you, whether he loves you? Does it make you question what you believe? God, why did they have to die? Why did they have to get sick? Why is my marriage so hard? Why won't you answer my prayers for my kids or for my adult children that are distant from you? Why am I struggling with this long-term illness? Why is my job not working out? What is your good purpose for my life? Because I feel like my life is purposeless and meaningless. You know, we've been talking in this Roman series and it's been incredible to see all of these truths that, that we are dead to our sin and dead to the law and alive in Christ and we're new creations in Christ living by his spirit. And we might have struggles with sin in Romans chapter 7, but we can overcome those through the power of Jesus and no condemnation. And, and, and all of this to this point is like, yes, 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 yes. But what do you do when life hits you and it's not even your fault? What do you do when bad things happen to you? And it's not because you sinned or anybody else sinned, at least as far as you can tell. And, you know, life happens, as they say. You lose a friend, lose a job, lose a marriage. You get sick, someone dies, and it feels like life just hits you over the head with a sledgehammer. Are you with me? You understand? What do you do? Does God see you? Is this part of his plan for your life? Is God there? In fact, this is one of the biggest challenges to those who don't believe in Christianity that they will pose towards us as Christians. How can you claim to believe in a God who is good and loving and yet bad things happen in the world? That's what Romans 8 is about. Romans 8 is about suffering. God is not surprised by our pain. He's not surprised by our suffering. And in fact, our big idea of this morning is that God wants us to suffer well. God desires for his people not just to survive in suffering, but to thrive in the suffering when it happens. Let's examine that. We're going to see three ways that God wants us to suffer well, and Paul's going to teach us that in Romans chapter 8. So let's read it together, starting in verse 18. Glorious verses. The Word of God reads, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So the first way that God wants us to suffer well, and maybe you picked it up because the same word was used three times in those verses, is to groan for glory. Grown for glory. This is a way we suffer well. As Christians, we can acknowledge the elephant in the room, that life is hard. Can I get an amen for that? Life is hard, amen? It is. Suffering is real. We don't put our heads in the sand like an ostrich and pretend that it's not happening, and the Bible doesn't pretend either. In fact, the Bible paints a very realistic portrayal of what suffering looks like in our world. And the first thing you see from this passage is that everyone groans. Everyone and everything groans. We see first off in these first few verses that creation groans. Why do bad things happen? We live in a Genesis 3 world. A world that is under the curse of sin. Because of human sin, Genesis 3, from Adam and Eve, the world has been subjected to decay, as the Apostle Paul says here in Romans 8. Sicknesses, disasters, pain, disease, turmoil, and death, or if you're a science nerd, the second law of thermodynamics, this is the world we live in. Paul describes creation as if it's in labor pains. Now, I've never experienced labor pains, but I've witnessed five labors firsthand, and they are intense. Okay? That's how Paul describes the world in labor. This summer we talked about this already-not-yet kingdom of God, right? And we talked about in the not-yet kingdom that creation, the curse of sin will be lifted off of creation in Revelation 21 and 22. But we're over here, and right now the curse is still here. We live in a sin-cursed world, and that is why creation is groaning. Suffering was not created by God. It was brought about by sin. And suffering won't last forever, but right now suffering is here. And creation groans. But creation's not the only one groaning in this passage. Who else is groaning? We are. Us. We are groaning in our pain. Groaning is a normal experience of our existence. Jesus himself said in John 16, that in this life you will have trouble. And so verse 23 is such a profound verse. It's really just a restatement of the point this morning. Paul says that we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. Or in other words, we groan for glory to come. Now, there's two important things to take away from that verse. Number one is that we groan. <laughs> Groaning is normal. It's okay to hurt. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's okay to hurt. It's okay to hurt. Right? It's okay. Sometimes we think as Christians that we're not allowed to feel pain, that we're not allowed to be sad, that we're not allowed to cry or be frustrated or have hard times. And I love the realistic portrayal of Romans 8. It's okay to groan and hurt. That is normal. Life is painful, and that's okay to acknowledge that. You know, we've lost the ability that our ancient brothers and sisters back in the early church did all the time called lamenting. Lamenting. The word lament just means a a, a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. And our early church brothers did this all the time. In fact, Jesus did this when his friend Lazarus died in John 11. He lamented If you read the Psalms or you read the book of Lamentations, which is all about lament, the Bible is full of chapters and verses and whole books that are about human beings groaning. Here's just a few examples we got from Lamentations 3. Go ahead and throw that up there on the screen, those verses. Lamentations 3 says, So I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Lament. Psalm 30, 13, 1. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide from me, your face from me? Lamenting. Psalm 42. My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. One important application that you can take from this message is to pray your pain. Pray your pain. That's not on the screens, but you could write it down. Pray your pain your pain. We are a pain avoidance culture. We take medication for everything, right? If your head hurts, you take Tylenol. If your back hurts, you take some Aleve or whatever else. We avoid pain at all costs, but sometimes pain is unavoidable. In those moments, pray your pain. Don't avoid the conversation with God. Pray to God like these lamenters. Tell God how you really feel. And I can ask, actually say that my suffering through anxiety and pain like that taught me how to pray. Now, I, I knew how to pray before I had anxiety. I knew how to, like, pray for food and pray for, you know, God's will to be done and pray before I went to bed, but, like, I didn't know how to pray like that until I felt like I was going to die. <laughs> There was a whole different level of communication going on when I was expressing and crying out in the bathroom, feeling like I'm going to suffocate, and saying, God, help me! That's the kind of groaning I'm talking about. This is the kind of groaning that we say. But we don't just groan. That's one point. The groan is normal, but it is not the end of the story. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. We don't just groan, but we groan for glory. We eagerly await the future. Paul started off this passage back in verse 18. You can see it. He says, I consider the present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. The pessimistic line I hear a lot, and perhaps you've heard it, is that life stinks and then you die. You hear that? And if you're uh, probably under 30, and I've heard this a lot from our teenagers, a lot of them say, We're all just slowly dying. So what's the point? Wow, that's encouraging, right? This is what our young people are saying. But as Christians, this ought not be because we can be realistic about our pain, but we're not pessimistic about our future. We are realistic about our pain and suffering, but we're not pessimistic about what God's doing because we know our hope. All of our best days are ahead of us. Can I get an amen for that? All of our best days are ahead of us. And someday, all of our worst days and our pain and suffering will be behind us completely. So this is what we eagerly wait for. We groan with hope, verse 24 and 25 says, waiting for our glorious adoption. Basically, Paul is saying, if you know where you're heading in the future, you won't even entertain the fact that your pain and suffering aren't worth it. Here's the craziest part of this passage, though. My favorite part of this whole passage, actually, who else is groaning? Creation, us, the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is groaning with us and for us. This should be so encouraging to us because what that means is through our union with Jesus Christ, God actually feels your pain. God actually is acquainted with and understands the pain that you have in your life because he's there with you. Isn't that amazing? I remember when we went to the Dominican Republic a few years ago. How many of you guys have ever been on a mission trip overseas, Dominican Republic or somewhere else? So, you'll understand this reference. So, I... Don't know Spanish very well, but I loved hanging out with these kids. We were hanging out. We were having so much fun, and, and the parents that were there. But I had this burning desire. I wanted to tell them what I, like, how much I love them and how much I care for them, but I couldn't express it in their language. And so what did I need? I needed a translator, right? A translator who could express what was in my heart to them. <laughs> Friends, the Holy Spirit is your translator. There are times in your life where you can't express what you want to say to God. You can't even pray what you want to pray to God. And the Holy Spirit's like, okay, Matt, I got it. (laughs) I'll, I'll take it from here. And the Holy Spirit groans for you. Isn't that amazing? The truth of that. That alone can change the way you think about suffering, that the Holy Spirit can pray with and for me. We are in union with Christ. So the first thing you do to suffer well, according to Romans 8, is to groan for glory. By the way, did you know that the Bible ends with a groan? Did you know that? The book of Revelation, the second to last verse, you know what John says? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Come, redeem this creation, fix the world, do this stuff that I just had this amazing vision of. Do it, God, fix it. Groaning is normal. But it's not over yet. We're not in that knot yet, so what do we do in the meantime? Does it mean that we just sit around, twiddle our thumbs, and ooh? No? Is there no impur- purpose for our suffering on earth? Is, is God absent? No way. Paul goes on, verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose for those God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters and those he predestined he also called and those he called he also justified those he justified he also glorified so first off you got to groan and acknowledge the pain and want long for glory but secondly you got to tell the truth to yourself Tell the truth to yourself. If you want to suffer well, you've got to tell yourself the truth. I may not know why this is happening. I may not see the big picture. I may be confused, but what do I know? What do I know in my pain? Paul says in verse 28, and we know these things are true. What's the thing we know? God is good. All the time. That's right. And all the time? Let's try it again. God is good? And all the time? And that is true when you're in pain. But it doesn't feel good, right? I don't feel good right now. I don't feel cuddly and warm. What do you mean by good, God? That doesn't feel good to me. Paul gives us the answer in verse 29. Just keep reading. He says, to be predestined, to be conformed to the image of his Son. Goodness equals becoming like Christ. God's goodness means becoming like Christ. In other words, one thing that you can bank on in the midst of every circumstance, in the midst of every pain and suffering in your life, is that God will make you look more like Jesus if you let him. And that is good. This is God's purpose in suffering, this is God's purpose for your life in general, is to conform you and I to the image of Christ, and I'm convinced that often one of the best ways that he does that is when we're in pain. And Paul got that too, because he said back in Romans chapter 5, earlier in this letter, he said this, go ahead and throw that up there, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, glory in our sufferings, why? Because we know, there's the truth again, that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We know that suffering does good stuff in us. And so we can glory in it because we know God's doing something good. God's up to something good. The best thing that God could do for you is to conform you to look like Jesus. Let me say that again. The best thing that God can do for you is to conform you to look like Jesus. And that changes how you pray. Now, I'm not saying that you don't pray for healing or you don't ask God to fix your family that is broken in conflict. I'm not saying that you don't pray for these things. Certainly you should. Jesus says we have not because we don't ask. You certainly should. But one thing you should add to your prayer list, and in fact, maybe you should pray it first, is this. God, whatever happens through this, will you make me look more like Jesus? Imagine if you started with that. God, whatever happens, will the outcome be the best for me? To make me look the most like Jesus and to see the gospel go out the most. God, I want that. And here's the beauty of that prayer, church. When you pray like that, you are actually praying like Jesus prayed. Because when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, about to face the most intense wrath of God that none of us will ever face. He faced all of the wrath of God for human sin for all of time, and he's literally sweating blood. He says to his father, Father, if this cup can pass for me, because it was a huge cup to swallow, if this cup can pass for me, let it pass. But, he said, not my will, but yours be done. And because Jesus said yes to his father's will, I will never have to face the kind of wrath that he faced that day. And so, we can follow him, as the author Hebrews says, Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising, scorning the shame at the end of that page there, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Then verse 3, he says it like this. Go on to the next slide. Consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So you can look at Jesus and what he did on the cross for you, so that you can know God is going to work out for good. The most heinous suffering in all of human history was worked out for the goodness of my salvation. Therefore, I know if I fix my eyes on him, God will be good. But here's something else true that you can tell yourself when you're suffering. God will finish what he started. God will finish what he started. Paul says this in verse 30. He Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. This is a process that will never be interrupted. What God accomplishes, what God purposes, he will accomplish. Philippians 1, 6 says it this way. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God's plan has not been derailed by your suffering. It is happening in in the midst of your suffering. And so E.M. Bowden said, great 20th century pastor said, trouble is just God's servant. Often it might be that very trouble that God is using to give you more of his grace and to make you more like Christ. So tell the truth to yourself. Grown for glory to be sure, but tell the truth to yourself that God is good and that God will finish what he started, but this passage is not over yet. In fact, the best is yet to come. Let's read verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring a charge against those who God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, the one who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No! What does that mean how does that teach you how to suffer well you live as one who is loved you live as one who is loved you groan yes you tell yourself the truth but you live as one who is loved one of the biggest critiques people give to christians is how can a loving god do this what is paul's answer he says if god is for us who can be against us well how do we know god is for us Answer, the next verse. If God did not spare his own son, how will he not freely give us all things? Here's the point. Whenever you're tempted to wonder, does God love me? I don't feel loved today. Why are these bad things happening to me? Look at the cross. Look at the cross. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that means that I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why they got sick. I don't know why she died. I don't know why my kid's struggling with diabetes. I don't know why th- th- my parents got COVID. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why this pain is in my life, but it can't be because God doesn't love me. God has already proven his love for me on the cross. I am loved. What does that mean if you live like this? I like to think about it like a parent and a child. Those that are parents in the room with children or grandparents, you get this. What's the first thing a child does when they're in pain? They run to their mom and dad. They cry and they run to their mom and dad. Jameson's shaking his head, nope, I don't run. Well, that's because you're old now. They run. Every little kid wants to run to their mom and dad to be held. And as a parent, there's just such a joyous feeling to just, I'm going to hug the pain away, Right? I just want to hold my child, to affirm them that I love them, that they are safe, that they are okay. I think that's a lot like what Romans 8 is saying. So think about it, coming to your father. So when someone brings a charge against you in verse 33, when the enemy causes you to doubt God's love, when someone says, where is your God? We say to our father, God, Daddy, Abba, is what they're saying true? No, my child. You are justified and righteous in my sight. And when you feel condemned, like verse 34, God, I failed you, I messed up again, do you still love me? Yes, my child, I love you. You are forgiven, and Jesus stands and intercedes for you right now. When you experience trouble or hardship or danger or sword, when it feels like you're a sheep led to slaughter, verses 35 through 37, God, does this mean that I'm losing? Does this mean that you see me? I feel lost. I feel like you're not here. Yes, my child, I am here and I will never leave you or forsake you. The martyr Stephen in Acts chapter 7, he was giving his faith, defending his faith before the Sanhedrin. And the end of chapter 7 says that all the Sanhedrin picked up stones and they were grinding their teeth in anger and they were about to kill him. And what did Stephen do? He looks up to heaven and he sees the Father. In that moment, I think Stephen knew, I'm okay. The Father is with me. God sees me. And it says he gave the Father his spirit and said, Father, forgive them. And they stoned him to death. And yet Stephen was confirmed that God was with him in that moment. First John 4 says that perfect love casts out fear. What does that mean? It means that when you understand the love of God, you're not afraid of anything that happens in this world. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain, Paul says, so I know with utmost certainty that no matter what happens in this life, my Father will take me safely home. I can fail, I can get sick, I can lose everything, I can die an early untimely death, I can battle long-term illness, I can deal with financial hardship and job loss because I know that my Father is good and that he will finish what he started and that he loves me and nothing can separate me from him. So by way of review, I want to just give you three questions to ask yourself every time something bad happens. You can write these down. These are really just a review of Romans 8. But I I ask myself these questions as someone who struggles with anxiety. A lot of times my mind goes to the worst case scenarios. Okay, if that worst case scenario happens or if it's happening to you now, ask yourself these three questions. Does God love me? does God love me? Is God good? Is God good in this worst-case scenario? And is my hope secure? Write these down. Put them on a sticky note in your bathroom. Put them in your home. Put them by your bed at night, wherever you're most worried and anxious. Put these questions there and ask them to yourself. Let's say you have a terminal illness. Let's say you have an illness that's either going to be an ongoing battle for the rest of your life, or maybe it's going to end in an untimely death for you. Does God love me in the midst of that illness? Answer, yes. He who died, he who did not spare his own son, who demonstrates his love for me and Christ dying while I was a sinner, he loves me. God is not vindictive. He's not hateful. He does not enjoy watching people suffer. He is near to the broken. Yes, God loves me. Okay, but is God good in my illness? Is this good that I'm suffering in this way? Answer, yes. God always has a purpose. His highest purpose for me is to make me look more like Jesus. So good can happen even if you are terminally ill. And we can see many people over the years who have testified of God's goodness even in dying. Ask any saint that has been through deep suffering, and they will tell you that they grew deeply in their love and relationship with Christ. Ask Joseph, who lived in way long before us in the book of Genesis, who was enslaved for 15 years in prison, who was sold, betrayed by his brothers, and... and Little did he know at the time that God planned to work it out where he raised a second in power in Egypt. And it was through Joseph that the entire nation of Israel and Egypt, for that matter, were saved from a huge famine. Joseph didn't know that at the time. And so at the very end of his life in Genesis 50-20, he says this, You intended to harm me to his brothers, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done to save many lives. I pray for 50-20 vision that I would see my life, my circumstances, through the eyes of God's goodness. You intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. Is God good in your illness? Yes. And is my hope secure in my terminal illness? Answer, yes. This is not the end. Creation will be redeemed, and so will you. Revelation 21 says it like this, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Church, God wants us to suffer well. And so we will groan for glory. We'll be realistic about our pain, but we're not pessimistic about where it leads. We will tell ourselves the truth that God is good all the time and all the time And his plan will happen. And we live as one, as people who are loved. Because he who did not spare his own son, how will he not freely give us what we need? Let's pray. Oh God, thank you so much for this truth of Romans 8. It's amazing how Jesus, you said in John that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's amazing how just knowing your word can lift us out of the pit of despair. That we can know with confidence that you love us, that you are good, and that our hope is secure with you forever. And because those answers are yes, we can face anything. We can face a whole other bunch of no's Because those questions are answered yes. And so God, I pray that you would allow us as your people to suffer well. That we would show and tell the world where our hope is found. So that when others ask us, how can you be okay in the midst of this pain? How can you be okay that we would use that as an opportunity to give an answer for the hope that is in us? That we would declare your goodness and your love and our hope in Christ. So now, Lord, as we respond in worship, I pray that you would allow us to be the kind of people like Horatio Spafford was who wrote this hymn, It Is Well, that we would be the kind of people that would say, it is well with my soul, and it's because God loves me, he's good, and my hope is secure. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.